Hello and welcome to the Tillage Edge with me, Michael Hennessy. This is your regular update for all your tillage news and advice. UK tillage farmers are our closest neighbours and we've often visited some of the large shows such as cereals and other farms over the years. It's always interesting to see how the other half lives with the scale of machinery, but you also get a sense of some of the problems faced by UK farmers. There are many Irish people farming in the UK and we're lucky enough to have Andy Mann, a farm manager in Bourneborough Farm in North Bedfordshire. Andy, you're very welcome to the podcast. Andy, can you explain whereabouts in the UK you are and how did an Irish man end up running a farm in the UK? So I'm uh, in North Bedfordshire. It's a farm called Bromborough uh, Estate Company Limited. Um, we're about an hour north of London, so we're probably halfway between London and Birmingham and uh, mainly an arable farm. I, I came over to uh, college in England when uh, I finished school in Dublin and did a degree in um, agriculture with crop management. I had a couple of years traveling and, and overseas during the winter times and working back over here in the summer times. And I, I kind of fell in with a, a farm management company called Belcourt over here and they took me on as a trainee manager. And well, the sort of rest is history, I suppose, really I, I went from left them uh, when the farm I was managing got sold and joined another family farm and, and then uh, when the, the daughter wanted to come back and run that, I, I moved to where I am now. So I've been here 13 years now. Okay. And maybe on the farm that you're on, uh, you might maybe give us an idea about the, the size of farm, the type of crops, um, is there many staff working on the farm? Yep. So we're, uh, it's about 750 hectares. Um, we grow, uh, try and grow quite a range of stuff. Um, We've got 200 hectares of winter wheat, 200 hectares odd of spring wheat, about 90 hectares of uh, spring oats, uh, 40 hectares of linseed, 70 hectares of grass, and then uh, 10 hectares of beans. I didn't get a lot of beans in last autumn uh, this year. And then we, we've got other bits and pieces. We've got about 25 hectares in environmental schemes. Um, we've got 50 hectares of woodland and 30 hectares of permanent pasture as well. So we've got quite a bit going on around um, and then in terms of staff it's just me full-time uh, as farm manager and then I've got another chap um, Paul who comes up and helps me uh, he'll probably come middle of March uh, and he'll be with me through till June and then he he's got his own little small holding in Devon he'll go back there and um, make do the haymaking and stuff and uh, he comes back up for harvest and then right through he'll come back beginning of July and, and be with me right through to probably end of November usually. And uh, and then I'm on my own again then for three or four months through the okay. winter. So um, he, he's a good chap. And then we get, I've got a couple of, uh, I've got a retired guy who comes and helps me at harvest with, uh, and uh, another chap then locally as well. I'm hoping he'll, um, he'll come in and help me at harvest as well. Just uh, hauling grain back and, and jobs like that, a bit of rolling. Well, certainly one thing strikes me from that, Andy, it's a, it's a very uh, lean uh, type of staff you have there. Uh, there's not a huge amount of people working on it. Um, just before we get into that a little bit, just in terms of owned and rented land, is it is it all owned or is there, is there a mix? So uh, the majority is owned, uh, 600 hectares is owned, and then 150 hectares um, is we rent in from a, a next-door neighbour. So that's just on a flat rent. Uh, we just... Um, just signed up a new agreement with them so for another five years. Um, I didn't mention as well, the other thing we've got is 80 hectares of solar panels as well, 
probably the best paying crop on the farm, but uh, I, I forget about them sometimes. <laughs> and you probably sheep under those, do you? No, uh, part of the, we're, we're not allowed to put sheep in there. The, the, there's a lot of panels, they're very close to the ground, so it's not, it was never designed for sheep to graze in there. The, the, the sheep would wreck the panels, I think, if they were in there. Okay. Well, getting back then, maybe to, to some of the cropping that you have, um, as regards the, I suppose, maybe just give people an idea in terms of your typical rainfall where you are not your parts of the world, and also then maybe typical yields uh, for some of your major crops that you have. Yeah, uh, so our, our sort of 10-year average uh, rainfall is about 550 millimetres. Um, it, it went up to about 650 last year, and then, uh, or sorry, 2019, that would be. And then 2020, uh, we had just over 600 mil of rain. But that sort of hides a story, I suppose, that most of that rain fell in six months. Um, we had, the, the rainfall tends to be, you know, hard and fast rather than sort of gentle rain all through the season. We tend to get it, you know, very long dry periods at the moment. It's sort of six weeks of dry weather and then six weeks of wet weather. Um, in terms of yield, uh, I focus quite heavily on cost of production. I don't chase every last ounce of yield. So winter wheat, we're doing about nine and a half ton a hectare. Um, spring wheat last year, we did about six and a half ton a hectare. Oats were about very variable, anywhere between five and six ton a hectare. Um, beans, winter beans were sort of anywhere again between four, four and a half ton a hectare usually. Um, so yeah. We're, and we're and the, are, those, are, are those dry yields? Do you dry everything on the farm or do you deliver it straight up? Yeah, no, that's dry yields. So uh, yeah, we, we dry when we have to. I've got on-floor drying here if I need it. Um, we've got a fairly big combine, so we can so hope, hopefully take advantage. If we do get a decent spell of weather, we can uh, we can fairly motor through it. Okay. Yeah, well, look, I mean, they're still very respectable yields nonetheless. Uh, and I suppose for, for context, in Oak Park, um, our average rainfall is around 850 a year. Uh, and uh, maybe you could argue it's a bit more gentle across the year, but we, we do get those um, banks of various different bits of weather as well. So when we met you about, I don't know, just probably four or five years ago, I think now we, we, we came across and visited you, you were in the process of changing from a plow-based system and you had a kind of strip-till system on the go at that stage. Has that evolved on your farm since or, or where are you now? Yeah, so uh, prior to 2012, I, I came here in 2008, and up to 2012, we were we had two full-time members of staff um, and a couple of Harvard students as well. We were running a plow and a mintill system, so we had like a sumo trio type, you know, disc uh, deep tine and packer type cultivator and, and plows and presses, and running a, a sort of cultivator drill then. Um, in 2012, we had a horrendous harvest. It, it started raining um, beginning of June and, and didn't really stop, if I'm honest. Uh, we had a break in September and then it started raining again in October. We just about got what we had harvested, but there was no grain in the air, hardly. Our yields were down to over 50%. Um, we, we were really, it was a terrible year. I, I, we got the combine stuck. I mean, it was horrendous. Um, and I remember sitting down that winter, we had very little drilled in the ground that, that sort of gone into 2013 harvest. And I, I thought, I can't, I can't carry on like this. It's just not sustainable. It's not, you know, I didn't know what to do really. And, and I spent a lot of that winter researching and, and I sort of thought we've got to get a bit more timely. We've got to make ourselves a bit more resilient to the weather. So we, uh, 
I started looking at no-till and uh, so that was in 2013 um, and took my time, did a bit of research on it, spoke to an awful lot of people around everywhere, a couple of guys in France as well, which were very influential. And uh, we, we, I thought I didn't want to quite jump being a farm manager, I suppose I'm, I'm you know, if, if things go badly wrong, I could always get sacked and <laughs> it leaves me in a bit of a pickle. So, um, we sort of took it step by step. And the first step was to move to uh, strip till. So we bought a Missouri drill, which is, I think we'd have that a year when you arrived, Michael, over with a, with a few lads from Chagas to have a look. And, and that went very well. But the problem with that was we've got a bad black grass problem. And if you're moving that amount of soil at drilling, you're not going to help your black grass issues. And um, so it was a bit of a wrench. After two years of that, we, we, you know, I came to the conclusion that the black grass was probably getting a little bit worse. Um, our yields were very good and it was a superb drill and everything. But with black grass, you just, you know, you need every little bit of help you can get. And I just felt with the soil health, we needed to move a bit further. So we bought a cross lot drill, um, a five meter cross lot drill, and that was running really well. And, and we, you know, I think we'd managed that transition from cultivations to to no-till quite well. Uh, we didn't see a drop-off in performance. We're growing a lot of cover crops before spring crops, and we we widened out our rotation quite a bit to grow more spring crops. But um, so yeah, we underwent quite a bit of change, and and the cross lot was going well. And then we had a series of uh, events probably um, started to come on the horizon two years ago, uh, eighteen months, two years ago now. Um, one of the partners in the farm, there's three people that own the estate here. One of them wanted out, so she needed to be bought out. Um, I had a, a workman working for me. He handed his notice in. Um, so it was just me and Paul at that point. And I thought it was a bit, we needed to change because the cross lot was a great drill, but we were effectively had a self-propelled drill. We had a big, big track to pull in it. Took a lot of horsepower to pull it. Um, and there was limitations in the system. So I ended up having a big review. We decided not to replace the full-time guy. And we've dropped back to now we've got two 220 horsepower tractors. I've got a six meter um, horizon disc drill, an eight meter horse time drill that I bought very cheap and very uh, secondhand. Um, I sold a self-propelled sprayer and moved to a trail sprayer. Um, so we've simplified our system I mean, I haven't got a lot, really. We've got a, a six-meter carrier, which gets used occasionally for two drills and a sprayer, a vert spreader, and a set of rolls. Um, and that was based, um, Andy, primarily around, was it staff and efficiency, or was money involved in it as well, or was it, was it all of the above? All of the above, probably, Michael. Uh, you know, I knew we could get our cost of production lower with an eye on Brexit and an eye on cap, well, cap reform slash Brexit. I knew we needed to get our cost of production lower again. Um, and I'd, I'd say it's as low as we can go now. So we, we've got, you know, all our machinery is bought and paid for now. Um, you know, we, we establishing a crop, we're probably using about three litres of diesel a hectare. Um, I don't think I can get it much lower than that, uh, to be quite honest. We're, we're, if you turn on the heater, it, you might, you might, uh, you might, uh, they might go up by a liter or so. Yeah, <laughs> turn the aircon off. Yeah, um, yeah. We, you know, I keep a real, and that's why I don't probably chase yield as much. We, we, I'm very, I use the environmental schemes that we've got over here very carefully to sort of take the poor areas out of production. 
smaller fields or awkward corners. So we we squared things up. So we can we can we, you know we've got a lot of drilling capacity with those two drills. We don't tend to run both drills together. It it gets a bit too much to try and run with just two of us here. Um, so we tend to run one drill and run it hard sort of thing when we are drilling and stuff. So we we hit timeliness pretty well and. And yeah, you know, I, I'm happy with the, what we've got with the system we've got. You know, it's uh, it, it's worked so far. We're 12 months down with all this new equipment, and uh, it, you know, we haven't seen a drop off in performance. I'm pretty happy with it. So, Aladdin, you, you mentioned your cost of production. Where do you think your cost of production of wheat is? Winter wheat. I haven't got them to hand, but I know we we benchmark uh, our cost of production, and and it's pretty good actually. We're 400 odd farms that we benchmark against. We're certainly in the top 10 percent. So for the other farms, as you're looking around your locality, obviously you've changed your system quite a lot in, in terms of your establishment system. Is that a, a trend in around where, where you are or are you a bit of a, a, an early adopter, as they might call you? I'd say I'm a fairly early adopter around here. There's uh, other guys starting to dabble in it a little bit. Um, of my immediate neighbours, there's nobody that would consider not ploughing. Um, and a lot of them, would, in fact, would tell me that, you know, what I'm doing is absolutely mad and, you know, you can't no-till on heavy ground. But, uh, you know, a little bit further afield, there's, you know, there's younger guys coming back to family farms and they're, they're taking it on. They can see that, you know, they need to get their costs down um, and they need to farm a bit more sustainably. And, and, and that's, they're looking to, you know, I'm talking to quite a few guys now um and and you know giving them uh, hopefully they're learning from my mistakes so when you're looking at your system and the change of your system from as your neighbors call it your mad to um you know from a play based system to your mad type scenario do you see um any major problems coming on the horizon and maybe also within that same question how much have you yourself had to change to adapt to your new system that's a good question, Michael. It, I've had to change massively. It's a massive change in mindset. Um, Gabe Brown, who's uh, you know one of the, one of the sort of leading guys in, in no-till over in the states, always says that you need to be quite lazy uh, to be um, to, to farm no-till. You've got to be very patient. Um, you know, in the spring, when I see my neighbours starting to drill, I know that I need to be about a week behind them. Really, you need to let the soil warm up a bit. It's just, it takes a bit more thinking about, a little bit more management, perhaps. It's not as foolproof, or certainly in the early years, you need to be a bit more on the ball. You can't sort of be too relaxed about it, but uh, it's, a, it's a very different change in mindset. And it's all, uh, you know, the, the temptation is always to, to do a bit of cultivation or do, or do a bit of that. You know, you can't do that. You need to really just sit on your hands, particularly after harvest that gap between harvest and drilling which admittedly wasn't very long last year but it's finding you know to not do it it's hard to not do anything that was the biggest change in mindset i suppose is it is it riskier do you think than a plow-based system no I don't, I don't think so uh if anything i'd say we're more resilient to the weather um you know i, I we've used the same tram lines for seven years and I had a conversation with a farmer uh, earlier this week and uh, he said, God, the ruts he'd made. I mean, you, I, the biggest problem I have in the spring is trying to find the tram lines again. We don't tram line with a drill or anything and we just, we, we drill at an angle across the tram lines. I can't find them. They just, it's, 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 you've got to see it to believe it, I think, sometimes. Okay. 
And in terms of, you, you mentioned black grass, um, are you getting over that problem by a cultivation system or is it a combination of the cultivation system and give, give yeah. a, obviously a very different rotation in comparison to what we would know maybe around that, your area that you're in, which would be, I suppose, generally other years very heavily dominated by winter cereals, but yours is quite dominated by spring cereals, I think, just looking at. Yeah, I mean, that, that's this year's cropping. Uh, uh, yeah, tr traditionally around here, you'd be pretty much all winter cropping and spring crops. So I was probably one of the first to, to start growing spring crops in the area. Um, and we've uh, actually, you know, I'm, I'm, spring wheat's done all right for me. Uh, um, the last last year did very well for us. So I think uh, it's a combination of things getting on top of the black grass. I think the low disturbance definitely makes a big impact. Um, black grass, when it you know sheds the seed in June, it sits on the surface. It doesn't like being there. It likes to be cultivated. I don't cultivate to get that flash, you know, flash of light into it to to get it to germinate. So it sits there for, you know, if, if, if we harvest our early winter wheat in, in the beginning of August, uh, you know, it's sat there for eight weeks before it gets any anything touching. It doesn't like that. So I think that low disturbance drilling. I think the the combination of spring crops as well. Um, we're really getting on top of the black grass. I, I wouldn't say it's a massive issue for me anymore. Um, we're starting to see our weed spectrum change a bit. Brome is becoming, understandably, because we're not ploughing, we're starting to see a bit of brome more. Um, oats as well, wild oats, the last few years have been uh, starting to creep up on the radar a bit. Um, but again, they're easy to control with chemicals, so um, certainly easier than black grass anyway. So looking a little bit wider, maybe from your own farm and, and just to get a view as regards the you know, farmers around your area or in a general sense, maybe around the Sangley area, are they happy with where they are? Did they get all the winter cereals in? Is it looking pretty okay over the winter? What way is it over there? Um, some and some, I think, Michael. Uh, talking to, to lads around here, um, we've probably done about similar to everybody else. I suppose we've got half the winter wheat that we planned in. Um, I think that some people are, are sort of all drilled up. Uh, other lads have got virtually nothing drilled. So there's a quite a mix, but I'd say, I don't know, if I had to put a stab on it, I'd probably be very wrong, but I'd say most farmers are, are you know, probably 70, 75% drilled up, certainly a lot better than last year. I think people uh, rushed out and, and drilled, certainly drilled earlier than they did last year. Um, there was a, a gap in November, which I think a lot, a lot of people took advantage of and, and got some wheat in then. Um, as regards how well those crops look, very mixed bag. It's been so wet, December uh, and January, you know, very, very wet across here. Uh, crops have sat waterlogged all across England and, and you know, that's set, definitely taken some, some of the potential out of them. Um, that's been probably the biggest factor. I think a lot of crops are just sat with very wet feet. Um, and that, you know, so it'll be interesting to see coming into the spring. And again, I know some lads didn't get any pre-emergence herbicides on, whether that'll be a factor going, going forward into the spring as well, maybe. And the final one I just want to ask you, Andy, uh, in terms of wet feet you're talking about there, on your own crops in the zero-till system, um, are they sitting in wet feet or are they a bit happier? We'd always be led to believe, I suppose, that uh, drainage improves over time and um, was that really the case in your ground? Uh, I wouldn't say necessarily that's the case this year. Um, 
I wouldn't say we're any wetter than any of our neighbours' fields, um, but there's no doubt I, 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 we are going to invest in some drainage. Most of our underfield drainage here is um, probably 50 years old, so we, we're actually going to drain a few fields coming up this summer. Um, No-till's great, I think, on heavy land, um, but I still think you need to drainage is still all important. You've got to look after, you've got to keep the ditches cleared. Particularly on clay, you know, um, it's just, yeah, we'll get there, I think, over time. But but certainly, I wouldn't say my farm is particularly dry at the moment, no. Okay. Andy, thank you very much for, for, for joining us today, and thanks very much for your time. Um, it's been great chatting to you, and um, we'll come back to you again a little bit later on in the year to see how your farm is getting on and how your neighbours are getting on uh, as regards the, uh, you know, the general crop work and um, how crops are looking over there. Thanks again, Andy. Thanks very much, Michael. So that's it for the Tillage Edge for this week, and my thanks to Andy. The Tillage Month continues with the second part of the National Tillage Conference on next Wednesday, February 17th at 11.30. For more details, go to www.chagas.ie forward slash Tillage Month for more details. Don't forget, if you like this podcast, recommend it to a friend or a colleague, and always rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss an episode and for more farming news and information, go to chagas.ie. I'm Michael Hennessy. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back next week with more tillage news and advice.